0: Just between us hey. Just
1: between us hey. Hello! I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and one-time Miss Hannigan in a summer camp production of Annie.
2: And I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and I travel the world via hot air balloon. No, you don't! Yes, I do. You can't lie in the opening. Prove that I don't. okay i'm sorry you're not allowed to lie no you know how much easier it'd be if i could lie in the opening well why don't you i'm running out of ways to describe myself i know and so that's this is how i have gamed the system so we're just gonna lie from now on i mean you know what do whatever feels right to you and that's the truth. And that's the truth. And I think we've established that here on this podcast. This is just
1: Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. It's in
2: the <laughs> description. You cannot lie. So um, I built my hot air balloon in 1983. Tamika! <laughs> Turn her mic off. (laughs) Um, Why does every school do Annie?
1: I was in school. It was summer camp. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. It's just like a good time. But I can't sing, so I just sort of spoke through my songs.
2: Did you do like a a New York accent when you played Miss Hannigan? I don't
1: remember. I just know that that was like the highlight of my acting career that summer. Because I, in the first term, I was um, a lead role in Little Abner. And I wowed him. And then I strolled into Annie, having missed the auditions because I had left in between the terms to to go meet Cal Ripkin with my dad. And uh, sure, and then they still gave me the lead. And people were people were upset but
2: because you you felt entitled. You could just stroll in, Cal Ripkin signature on did. your palm. I don't make the decisions. They gave me the role. Why were you just that good? I was very good. I wanted to be a child actor so bad. Me too. And I'm resentful and my parents didn't let me do it.
1: I think, thank God, they didn't let me do it.
2: I know, but but would my life be that different? Probably. <laughs> yeah, well, also, <laughs> you're assuming that you would have been successful. <laughs> that I would have been good at being a, ch- a child like actor. Like, you would have
1: booked stuff versus just, like, oh, going out on so audition after audition. No, after I was audition. so cute.
2: No, I was really cute. I would have definitely been booking.
1: (laughs) We're excited for this week's episode.
2: We have Annie Segarra. We're going to be asking some tough questions about disability and the long road to diagnosis. And later we'll be discussing going back to school as an adult. But first, hit it!
1: International question! International question! International question!
2: Aurora, Italy. God, what a beautiful name,
1: what a beautiful place. Right? Her question is this. How can I handle jealousy? Oof. Some more info. I'm 23 and I've been in a serious relationship for a year now with an awesome guy I had a huge crush on for months. There is just an issue. Jealousy. I don't know how to handle it. It's not something about someone who I find specifically threatening to our relationship, nor is it caused by my boyfriend's behavior since he's nothing but loving and caring and has made 100% clear how committed he is to us. Still, I can't help but feeling insecure. I have recurring nightmares about him deciding he wants to date other girls. I even get annoyed when my female friends are nice to him. Anytime this happens, I go and ask my boyfriend for reassurance about his feelings, which he's always ready to give, but I'm afraid one day he'll get tired of this dynamic. What do I do? I know I have a history of abandonment issues due to trauma from childhood, and I'm addressing them in therapy.
2: Is there any other advice you can give me on this? Therapy it would have been my number one suggestion, but you're already doing it.
1: I, um... I feel like I am a recovered jealous maniac.
2: Yeah, sure. Like I'm in recovery from jealousy. Yeah,
1: Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I used to be a super, super jealous girlfriend. And I um, was like convinced that they were going to meet somebody else or they would leave me for someone. And Mm -hmm. um, I had to really realize that it had nothing. Well, sometimes it had something to do with the guy. But overall, it was mostly my own issues. Mm -hmm. And it was about me not having confidence in myself Mm -hmm. and also not not trusting the words that someone was saying to me yeah and so I think that there's plenty of people who will make you feel jealous and it's on them And Mm -hmm. their behavior is inappropriate, and they're pushing boundaries, and they're doing things that make you uncomfortable. Um, And in that case, that's an issue with your partner and your relationship and something you have every right to feel and to bring up. And maybe you're not compatible. Exactly. But if you know that, like, it is not on your partner at all, that this is 100% just something that is coming from inside you, you really have to look at that and figure out, like, why why do you mm-hmm. assume that someone is going to want to leave you
2: also you have to extend the same personhood to them as you extend to yourself i know we think of ourselves as very complex and complicated people and we don't often extend that same inner life to others so like if you know if you if you're like oh my god he's constantly thinking about leaving he's constantly thinking that he doesn't want to be with me but then you know that you're not like that or you think about like well, I'm not sitting here constantly thinking about leaving. I'm not – if I text a, a male friend, I'm not thinking about, like, how I'm going to fuck that friend and leave my boyfriend. Like, you have to extend, like, the same, uh, a bit like, way that you look at yourself to him. Maybe he's just sitting on the couch watching TV. And I remember sometimes being like, oh, my God, he's totally thinking that he wants to, like – he's so bored with me and he's leaving. But, like, when you're sitting on your couch watching TV – you're just zoned out watching TV. Like, often it's not that deep. And being jealous
1: is not something that will prevent cheating. Exactly. So, like, you obsessing about this thing isn't going to determine his actions. If anything, I think you're right. And then it might ultimately drive him away because it isn't fun to be with a partner who constantly needs reassurance.
2: And it's also not fun to have a partner who's accusing you of stuff. Right. Like, I know that you're saying you're not accusing him, but I would hear it as, like, what do you think of me? Right. Right. And, like, you have to
1: just know that if they choose to do that, if they choose to cheat on you, if they choose to act inappropriately, that's on them.
2: You have no control over someone else's actions. You have no control over it. And, like,
1: and if and when that happens, then you will deal with it. But don't worry about something until it's actually happening.
2: Yeah, a relationship could fall apart for any reason. If you're so fixated on like, well, at least he, I hope he doesn't cheat. I hope he doesn't cheat. Uh, there's could be communication breakdowns. There could be some sort of thing where one of you gets a job and suddenly a long distance and it doesn't work. I mean, there's just so many reasons that relationships fall apart. So worry about those instead. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. saying it's, it doesn't behoove you to worry about any of no, it. No, I know. Uh, I have a thing because I don't necessarily feel jealousy in this way um which is i mean i feel jealous like i definitely i feel jealous of people's exes more than i feel of like mm-hmm. new people in their life like mm-hmm. i feel like if they're talking to their ex i'm jealous yeah because that person already has like a, p- a place in their life and they already loved them but if it's a new person i'm like well if you're gonna leave me for a new person then you were gonna leave me anyway
1: i also think that you have to stop yourself from vocalizing these fears mm-hmm. so like that's behavioral therapy is like you, you want to go to him and you want him to reassure you and you want to bring up every single fear that you have and you have to not let yourself do that.
2: You have to self-soothe.
1: You have to self-soothe. It's not on him to fix this feeling in you. Um, and that's something I've really worked on. Like, I, you know, in the past, like, if my boyfriend, if a boyfriend had brought up a new female coworker that they're sitting next to this girl at work and, like, whatever, I would immediately be like, let me see a photo of her. Is she <laughs> cute? Like, what do you think? And now I'm just like, okay. Like, yeah. I just, I don't let it go there in my conversation with him. Mm-hmm. So it'll just be like, oh, is she cool? Are you guys friends? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, is she, you know, like, I don't even let it slip that I'm thinking about the possibility of her viewing him in a romantic way at all. Yeah. Because then I'm giving in to my anxiety. I'm giving in to my doubt and my worry, and I don't want to vocalize it. I think it'd be really great exercise for you, Aurora, to... Make a pact with yourself to not bring up your jealous feelings for a month. Mm. Where, like, you know, you are not allowed to express that you feel jealous. You can obviously feel your feelings. You can't control what you feel. But you are not allowed to vocalize them or discuss them with anyone else.
2: And I wonder if at the
1: end of that month if they'll have less power
2: over you. Oh, because if you're not saying them, then they don't have power. Right. Oh, that's interesting because then it's just like you're like, this is just in my mind. It's not real. Right.
1: And I'll, yeah, and you're not just like giving life to it.
2: Yeah. Because the more you're
1: saying it out loud, the more you're enforcing it in
2: your head. That's true. And then it's also a thing that you guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, and it's a, an issue that's actually happening. Right. Because it's common. It's normal to feel jealous. It's normal to feel jealous. The real problem is is needing it to be a thing every time.
1: And let's say that this guy does cheat on you, then you don't want to be with him anyway. Right. So you have to assume that he is the guy that you like, he is the guy that you love, he is the person you think he is, and that person wouldn't cheat on you. Right. So what are you even worrying about? You know, like, if that happens, then, like, the only thing to want is to want to know so that you can leave. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this isn't, if he is this person that you think he is, then just, like, stop talking about it. Yeah. Because it's not doing
2: anyone any good. Yeah, you're making a problem where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. That's I totally true. get
1: it because I, I've like 100% been there and I've I've poked and I've prodded and I've, you know, and all that that lets your partner know is that you're insecure. Yeah. And like while partners will obviously love you if you're insecure, it is like it it, it can have the effect of making you less desirable.
2: Yeah, but on top of that, you're just spinning a problem out of thin air mm-hmm. that isn't a problem.
1: Totally. And that's annoying. It's just like annoying. Yeah. When a partner does that. So you're um, like, this isn't happening. This isn't a thing. And a- again, you cannot control other people liking your partner and other people flirting with your partner. Yes. But you time. have to trust that your partner will b- continue to behave appropriately. Right. Yes. Like it's not there's no reason for you to freak out because someone else likes your partner like the, just means it you takes, have a hot partner yeah, it congrats. It takes two to the tango and if he's not engaging in it there's nothing to worry about.
2: Yeah, we have all these like stupid narratives that paint men as dummies who fall for like stuff all the time. Like we need to make more Like movies where men aren't like the victims of seduction in this way. Or they're
1: responsible for their own actions. Yeah, it's
2: like we always paint it as like, this girl's gonna take him away. And it's like, he has to do something. He has agency. Exactly. And also, I mean, maybe there could be a thing where the relationship is going really well and so you're just inventing something. Have you talked about that in therapy? Sometimes when a relationship is going really well and you just are an anxious person, you spin your wheels trying to be like, what can I do Mm -hmm. to cause some sort of Too good to be
1: true. I know Deserve yeah. to be this happy.
2: Exactly, and you do deserve to be this happy, Aurora. Especially in Italy. It's so beautiful there.
1: <laughs> if you would like to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's just between us P-O-D at gmail.com. Coming up next, we have an interview with Annie Cigara, so stick
2: around.
0: Just between us.
1: Hey. Hi everyone, Allison here. it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest,
2: most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Uh, this week on the pod, we have Annie Cigara, who, uh who is a YouTube content creator, but also a person who talks a lot about disability and diagnosis, and that's what we wanted to talk to you about. So hello, Annie. Hi. So you're calling from Miami? Yep. I'm in Miami right now. So... I think we really
1: wanted to talk about like your your long path to diagnosis, because it's tough to get diagnosed in general, and then it's really tough to get diagnosed when you're a woman. Um, and you kind of speak to that a lot um, through your activism. So can you kind of just like take us through that journey for you?
3: Good Lord. Uh, yeah. So I have a genetic uh, condition, meaning so I've had it pretty much my entire life uh, called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, and there's a bunch of different types of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and we'll call it EDS for short. Um, my type specifically is uh, called classical type. Um,
1: how fancy.
3: I know. I, that's what I thought. I was like, how cute, classical type. <laughs> like like there's supposed to be violins playing as I'm right. being diagnosed. It was something that I experienced symptoms of very acutely when I was little, like things uh, that... Um, Basically, to people who were not inside of my body, right, everybody else in the world, they saw me and they thought that I was just kind of like a chubby, out-of-shape kid, like, um, because my face would turn red really fast during physical activity mm-hmm. or be- or because I couldn't hang on to the monkey bars um, for, like, more than a second or so. Like, I just couldn't. I I couldn't do a lot of physical things like that. Um, which, uh, it's everybody, including my PE coaches were like, okay, so you're a pansy, right? Like you're weak or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but never looked at any of those little small things as like a symptom of something else. Uh, like I was like, uh, would have like asthma attacks, um, or asthma attacks. I would have like situations where I felt like my throat was closing and this would always happen like right on the like end of a cold. Mm -hmm. Um, ultimately, right. The, when I started actually seeking a diagnosis, it didn't even happen, um, until a year into this very disabling chronic pain. Um, I used to work, at a restaurant and I was like on my feet and wearing heels for like six to eight hours a day. That's inhumane um,
1: no matter who you are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? But I didn't know that. I was, I was actually just talking about it in a recent video that I made with somebody else um, with my friend Lolo. And uh, I was under the impression that every single person on this planet also experiences chronic pain. Mm. And I was just the only person who couldn't handle it.
2: Oh, that's um, so interesting. I bet that's so common. How old
3: were you? Um like when I thought that, I was at least 13, and when I was working like this this like, you know, turning point of like, I should see a doctor was when I was like 23. Okay, um, so 10
2: years. You were like, I guess so, everyone's hurting.
3: Yeah, cuz cuz pain is so normalized, you know, especially for women and 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 uh, anybody that's, like, not a man, we're, we're conditioned to believe that, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase? Uh, beauty is pain, mm, right? So, I hate that phrase. So, <laughs> so, like, all these things, I'm like, oh, so we're supposed to be in pain. Everything is supposed to hurt. Uh, and I'm just the, you know, everybody else is right. I am a pussy. I can't handle anything or whatever. Eventually, what was happening was my, my standing limits uh, the, what the pain felt like is I thought they were like, I thought there was like a cracked bone Ugh. at the at the bottom of my foot. Um, and uh, so I just, again, under that normalization of pain, I kept doing things like, oh, I must be too weak to wear heels. So let me beg my boss not to wear heels anymore. I'll wear pretty boots to work. Like, please don't make me wear heels anymore. And I like... I did as much uh, adapting as I could beyond the exchange of heels to boots. Mm-hmm. I asked my boss, can I use a stool at the hostess stand? And even then, what was happening was, wow, I can't, like, it's hurting me even to just, like, walk somebody to their table to, to give them their menus. Um, so that's when I started investigating. And then that was a that was a big process of, like, I had to go to at least three doctors because the first one was, like, "Uh, I don't see anything wrong. Just go home. Put your feet up, Um, followed by a a couple other doctors who, like, misdiagnosed me and signed me up for an operation on my leg to, like, uh, fix this misdiagnosis. What was the
1: misdiagnosis?
3: Um, They misdiagnosed me um, with flat feet. The reason why... They thought I had flat feet is because so EDS is a connective tissue disorder where it affects um, it affects pretty much every part of your body, but it uh, the most people notice it first in their joints because their joints are too lax. So the glue that's supposed to be holding your body together, they it's not holding your joints together properly. Um, so they're like that's why they might appear. Flexible, which is the wrong word, but you know I always use it for simplicity's sake for mm-hmm. people who are not familiar. So what happens is like when they do the X-ray, you're standing up. So when I stand up, the joints in my feet, which if you don't know, there's a lot of joints in your feet, um, they all kind of collapse into the ground. <laughs> oh, um, because the because right, the joints are not strong enough to hold their position. They all just kind of bend. Uh, downward with gravity. Um, So in the x-ray, it looks like flat feet. But if I'm like, you know, lying down and taking an x-ray, that's not what the x-ray is going to look like. So they went in and they like, they did a bunch of stuff. They like sliced into my calf and like, they did the surgery. Yeah. Oh my god. It was. (laughs) The thing is, like, because of that surgery, I got more clues like doctors here. Here's the the fun fact about this whole thing is that doctors were never, ever, ever going to freaking help me. Like I had to do it myself. I had to research it myself. Mm-hmm. I had to put the clues together. I had to be like, you know, the that like, what is that? That internet meme of the guy with like all the post-its on the cork board trying to connect all the dots together. Yeah. <laughs> together? <laughs> I had to be that person. I had to like figure it all out by myself. When I had that surgery, I got a couple more clues, which is uh, so part of EDS can be that anesthesia doesn't really work on you and local anesthesia and pain medicine like doesn't really work on you. Oh my God, Uh, I'm
1: freaking out.
3: (laughs) So it, it wasn't an issue of like I woke up or anything during the procedure. They expected the anesthesia to last me for the night in terms of pain relief. Mm-hmm. But when I woke up, I, I I felt everything, like, as though I didn't have any anesthesia. Oh, wow. Um, so I was, like, I, as I was slowly waking up, I um, s- <laughs> I slowly started, like, realizing how high my pain levels were mm-hmm. to the point that by, by the end of the evening, I was, like, screaming until I was too tired to scream anymore. And then I was just, in like, this silent shock, like, I I don't know how like what that's called, but like I'm still in pain, but my body's so exhausted of making noise, so I can only just open my eyes and feel the pain.
2: Okay, well that is horrifying. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, um, there's this thing that uh, that physicians don't like when patients Google or research into their own symptoms because they find it annoying. But then there's this thing where women, specifically women of color, specifically also disabled people, have to work so hard to be listened to and to be heard um, and to get the right diagnosis. So can you speak a little bit about about that duality? In my experience, so many, especially
3: involving like women, so many people only benefited from doing research on their own because it's not like their doctor was going to do it for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like, it's not, we're not living in a world of house MD where, right. where the doctor is like, where you come in, you say you have a problem and your doctor's like, I will not stop until <laughs> I figure out what is wrong with you. No way. They. I've had so many doctors be almost just cruelly dismissive of whatever I brought to the table.
1: And also there's so many specialists that no one is looking at the whole picture a lot of the time.
3: Yeah. You have to like, I, I, before, before doing this, before like starting these medical investigations and what was happening to my body, um, I really thought <laughs> that the world was like that. The world was like Dr. House, and you had, like, a team of people that, like, uh, you know, were going to, like, try and help you figure out what was wrong. Um, but I-, I-, I was, like, astonished at the, just the fact that I would have a specialist and they were all separated and they don't communicate to each other. That, that for me, I was like, Really? My doctors are not going to communicate to each other. It's my job. It's, it's me, the sixth person's job to like continue to like play messenger through all these doctors, um, and try to piece the puzzle together myself. I found EDS on my own. And then I started to bring that diagnosis to doctors saying, Hey, I want to be tested for it. And again, I was met with like cruel dismission, um, with doctors saying things like, um, the symptoms that you're describing are not possible. I've had doctors just laugh at me and say, no, you don't have that. Um, and all they <laughs> like, <laughs> would need
1: to do is just do a blood work to figure it out.
3: In my case. Yes. Cause there's so many different types. And unfortunately the most common type, it doesn't have a blood test for it yet. You can, the only way, the most common type, uh, the only way to get that one diagnosed that's hypermobile EDS. So HEDS. um, you have to find a doctor that knows about it uh, enough to clinically diagnose you right there in the office. Like, just be like, do you have this symptom, this symptom? And, like, count count a list of, like, I think it was 12. I don't remember. Um, and then at the end of the questionnaire go, well, that's what you have. Right. Yeah. So um,
2: this is a thing that you talk about a lot is that a lot of – is that there's this idea that doctors are all-knowing gods and that civilians mm. are little dumb peons. and mm. And – that oftentimes a doctor will not have even heard of EDS or there are uh-huh. a lot of disabilities or there are a lot of diagnoses where the doctor hasn't even heard of this. Um, uh-huh. And, and uh, I think like the, the thing that people are nervous to do is to advocate for themselves. I think people say, well, if the doctor says that that's not it, then that's not it. And it's like, how do you, how do you speak up for yourself? How do you tell people that are going through this? Like, how do you know to speak up for yourself?
3: In my case, it was the fact that I was so well researched i that I did have um the confidence to kind of be like uh my doctor is wrong period mm-hmm. um, such a big journey just to get this big umbrella diagnosis, but there's still so many comorbid uh conditions meaning stuff that's related to it um that are undiagnosed but that I experience on a daily basis um like what and so uh, stuff like I, I'm not officially diagnosed with POTS, which is very annoying because that's one of like my more disabling conditions. Um, POTS is a postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And uh, what it means is that my blood vessels, they, uh, they don't work too great. And it, it's part of what limits my ability to stand up or to even raise my arms up high or be in hot temperatures because... It'll uh, trigger migraines and nausea, and sometimes fainting spells. Um, and so I deal with this on a daily basis. But every time I try to get tested for it, I get rejected. Um, Why? So uh, different things. A big, again, again, it's the issue of like not finding doctors that like know enough about it to to test me for it. Right. Um, and and then one of the things that actually scares me is that. And the test itself could make me sicker. Like one of the first tests is uh, not the first test, but one of the tests is called the tilt table test where you <laughs> you lie down on the table that tilts up and down. And basically, like I said, the blood vessels, they they're kind of uh, swooshing your blood around your body too fast. And that's what makes you so sick and, and fainty and whatever. Uh, so they'll flip you like upside down then right side up then upside down, then right side up and basically make you sick in order to prove that you're sick. Oh Um, oh my God. (laughs) uh, So, and, and I feel like if I do a test like that, I'm like, you're going to knock me out for a while. And I don't have time for that. I don't have time to make myself sick.
2: Um, (laughs) To prove to you that that's what I have. I can tell you that's what I have.
3: Yeah. So, so I'm in a position like that with, that's one of the bigger ones. Uh there's also like cognitive and mental health stuff that that I don't have diagnosis for and like so I can still relate to that undiagnosed feeling.
2: How do we fix the relationship between disabled people and doctors? Like how do we how do, what what is what's missing?
3: Uh I, I just like rolled my eyes cuz I'm like uh <laughs> <"Ugh." laughs> Well, I think the first thing would be for doctors to be humble enough to take the critique.
0: Um yeah.
3: there's been so many like there's been a, a few different uh you know social media campaigns trying to get doctors' attention. It was a uh, hashtag doctors are dickheads. I heard <laughs>
2: yes, and that was I saw that and I and I saw that there was like equal pushback cuz I this is not nearly close to what I see you and other other disabled people go through, but I talked about on a different podcast an experience I had in the emergency room where uh, I was basically laughed at and ignored for hours while I had like a terrible migraine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the response that I, and I had someone respond being like, you're a fucking piece of shit who doesn't respect doctors and you don't know what doctors go through and you don't know what emergency people, like room people go through. And I was like, No, I don't. But I also know that, like, I'm in pain on a mattress while a bunch of people stand over me and laugh. Like. Yeah. So how do you you fix that? Everyone
3: needs to understand that the the big problem there is the power dynamic, is Mm -hmm. how much power doctors have in the lives of a sick person and how their neglect uh, is, um, I don't know, we don't we're in a time where the internet is so new and the internet has taught us so much, especially because of how we communicate with each other through social media and through like hashtags like that. Um, And uh, so, uh, but what we're seeing through that information right now is that medical neglect is more common than, than people who feel safe going to the doctor. Right. Um, and, and it's, a, it's a huge problem. It's a power dynamic. Um, and it's a conversation that happens so much. That's, what, that's why I feel assured enough to say that it's more common than not, because when these kind of hashtag campaigns come around, it, 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 you you struggle to find one person who does not have a story of some kind of medical trauma mm-hmm. uh, that involves a doctor being neglectful, being dismissive, being gaslighting, yeah. um, you know? Um, And the one, doctors are has right. So that was, uh, I agree. So we're using some vulgarity there. Uh, But what I thought was really funny was that these conversations have been happening for years on the internet. And it was only with the vulgarity that I guess some egos were, uh, you know, smacked around a little. And doctors did get into the conversation, but only to prove the point. Right. Only to prove the point. Because they they th- then created a hashtag to humiliate patients called "Patients are dickheads. Oh my
0: Um God. where they
3: where they wrote stories about how patients annoy them. Um,
2: it's such so. a vulnerable position to be going to the doctor, and I don't me I don't think that's appreciated. Like even I and um, speaking of like not being believed and stuff. I mean, I think it would serve uh, people to examine their sexism and racism, even like. I've seen a lot of stuff recently about, like, fat phobia in terms of people saying being told to lose weight and exercise, and then it turns out they have cancer.
3: Yeah, I was just about to say that because that is one of the bigger ones. Like, if if anything else, fat phobia is so, like, prevalent in the medical field and so, so many times. And I see it, and I see how, like, harmful it is to so many people. I see it in the lives of people that I care about that are very close to me. I've seen it in my own life how they put you on a scale see a number and then they tell you that in order to be healthy you need to get it down to a different number um but nothing else whenever uh, uh it happens to like relatives of mine they they come to me with stories like that i'm like okay but did they say anything else about your actual health did they like talk about like your cholesterol health or anything else yeah. nothing No, just the number on the scale and they've decided that you're not healthy that's all they have to go off like
1: or they're ignoring um, actual symptoms
3: yeah yes and that's the other way absolutely is that they'll they so many people who are fat they they are dealing with real life illnesses that doctors refuse to look at because they'll blame any and any uh disease or illness or condition on their weight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so it, it's it's a huge struggle. Again, it's um and I'm sure if we were to speak to some doctors which which I have, you know, there there's definitely validity in like oh, they're burnt out. They're, they're it's like right. the industry is is like um let's put credit where it's due, right? They're they're overworked, right? Yeah. Like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of there's a bunch of elements that like it makes their mental health and their, uh, you know, what's going on with them absolutely valid. However, uh, some, some kind of justice needs to be reached for all parties involved because people are sick and dying and dying, like, needlessly because of the neglect of doctors. Uh, I was saying I, I was going through the medical system for, like, three years trying to find the diagnosis. Not even trying to find it. I found it. Like, how did you finally get the diagnosis? So I had accepted that I was in so much chronic pain that I couldn't stand up for more than like a minute to five minutes at a time. I said, "Fine, uh, I'm going to buy myself a $200 wheelchair. I'm going to get around the world in my wheelchair, and I will figure out a new life. I will stop working in the food service industry and find myself a desk job. But if I want to do that, I need to figure out my." The chronic pain in my back. Mm. So when I went to see like uh, some kind of a neurosurgeon, spinal person, um, I was imploring with them, like I think I have EDS. Uh, they were one of the people who said it all. They said your the symptoms you're describing are not possible. Uh, no, I don't think you have that, you know. And then you had like some kind of, I don't remember what the scan was, MRI or X-ray or something of my of my SI joint. And he was really surprised to see that, like, essentially, like, all my joints were extremely far apart. And he did not understand how I was walking on my SI joint. Right. uh, With my, with my joints being so (laughs) separated, um, looking like I'm walking on like dislocated hips. Right. Um, So I'm pointing at the scan, like, sir, 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 <laughs> I, that is like another, that's another clue. That's another symptom of what I'm telling you. I think I have. And again, he like shrugs me off. Then scares the bejesus out of me because his follow-up to, ha, 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 you don't have that. But here's what I want to do. I would like to set you up for an operation to fuse your joints together. <gasps> what? Um, <and laughs> so when I heard that, I, I I had a huge meltdown in his office. Like I just started like sobbing and screaming and slamming my, my hands on the desk, like uh, screaming things like, you'd rather risk me being horizontal for the rest of my life than listen to me. Um, because, because that was scary. He'd already given me like some injection. Like, I think it was, I think it was steroids. And if it was that, um, I believe steroids, break up collagen, so the collagen that I have that is already defective, it would have been spread apart, and it kept me horizontal in bed for, like, 10 days. Ugh. And when I told them that that happened, that's one of the things you said, like, that's not possible that that happen? but it is if you have defective collagen, sir.
2: Also, um, your experience <laughs> happened.
3: Right, right. So I, I was just an they're calling me a liar. Um, and, uh, well, that breakdown led to a lady doctor coming in uh, and asking why I was crying and he continues, like, he has no shame in, like, mocking me. He, he uh, he like, rolls his eyes and throws up his arms up in the air um, and says she thinks she has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Like, I, like, you know, like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, pretty much. Yeah. Um. And the lady doctor said, huh, I never heard of that. Uh, and she... Instead of talking to him, now talks to me and says, can you, um, can you spell it for me? I'd like to look it up. And I'm like through sobbing tears, like, it's eh, eh. so, like I'm <laughs> trying to spell it out for her. And, and uh, she's like, it's okay, honey, I got it. And she, and she like finds it. She like just, you know, briefly skims the, the description of it. And then she looks up the scan and she looks at the dude that's sitting behind this desk in this long white coat and says, she could have this. <laughs> oh my
2: God! If he
3: rolls his eyes and he says, "Fine, I'll send her to a geneticist," um, which is what I was asking for the whole time. Oh
0: and I God. finally
3: like this takes that then this process takes a whole another year because like to see a geneticist takes like half a year, and then the test, then then the test to get bred gets like another half a year. It was it was bizarre. Oh my God! Um, and uh, so, but finally, like you know, affirmation. I saw that geneticist and. I have my, my freaking three inch binder full of stuff. And, and then ultimately, you know, like months and months and months of time went by, uh, and, and yeah, she gave me the result and she like, it, it was so weird because she kind of like skimmed over it or at least that's how it felt. Um, because I just remember like she said it and I, I lost the ability to like cognitively process anything. So she kept talking and I, I had to stop her and be like, wait, wait, wait. So I have it.
2: You were right. <laughs> so How did it feel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: um, weird. Like, just kind of, uh, I guess the only way I can describe it for now is kind of that physical, that physical um, idea of, like, pushing a door really, really hard and all of a sudden... Somebody just kind of unlocks the door and you fly through.
1: Yeah. Um, Did you go back and, to that stupid doctor and tell him?
3: I, I I don't know. I was I dealt for a long time with the idea of doing that, but at the same time, didn't really want to. It was like I I was in the headspace of like I never want to see your face again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um. So I think about that a lot and. Uh, being a chronically ill person, I have so much time to think about, I have so much time to like think about everything and not to say that I'm not an extremely busy person because I am in a lot of other different ways, but the isolation in which I don't have to necessarily interact with people too often (laughs) because of spending so much time like within the confines of my bedroom walls, uh, does leave me with a bit of space and time to think about certain things. Um, and so even with doctors, right, like I, like I mentioned before, I do try and, like, see the other side of things um, and not, you know, not move forward in my life with, like, hate in my heart about it. But I'm still a Leo and very angry <laughs> about, <laughs> about, about things and, like, di- you know, slamming my fists onto tables and demanding justice, et cetera. I think Leos are, like, you know, the I want to see your manager yes. astrology
2: sign.
1: Well, thank thank God that Uh, you are like that. That's what I'm saying. Otherwise,
2: I don't think you would have ever gotten the diagnosis. It's crazy that that's what you had to do to get heard, and that's the problem.
3: Yeah, I think there definitely needs to be there. There needs to be communication, and there needs to be medical reform. There needs there needs to be so many changes in how we treat our doctors and how, and not we. I mean, like doctors, bosses, and hospitals, etc. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We, I think. I don't know. I think we're doing okay when we're just trying to do research and advocate for ourselves. Um, There needs to be reform and change in how doctors treat their patients and how they talk to their patients. Like, I don't know that they never had it, but uh, sensitivity training, Mm -hmm. like having some bedside manner to not condescend and mock your patients. Like, are you kidding me? I think that's like the most basic, the basic respect of a thing for a doctor to not roll their eyes at a patient when their patient is saying, I'm suffering. Right. I I can't believe that that's a thing I have to say. I can't believe that like a doctor is ever gonna do that. But I experienced at a handful a list of doctors who did that to me. And my experience isn't isolated. My experience is a, an extremely common one. And that should be something that doctors here and are ashamed of Uh and not like, and all, and I'm sure. And I know, I know that there's decent doctors. Uh, like I, I struggle with talking about this topic sometimes because there are doctors in my family. Um, so again, like why I don't want to be like, hate all doctors that's not that's not the end of the that's not the that's not the finish line here mm-hmm. the where we want to get to is that if you are one of the quote-unquote good doctors that you hold your peers accountable mm-hmm. that you that you are part of the advocacy that you're part of the reform and you're part of making sure that patients are no longer harmed by medical neglect
2: yes that
1: is one hundred 100 true so true that i have to ask if you want to play a game show
3: <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you so okay. much for sharing
1: all that i mean it was it was amazing but i we just have a strict order of things and now we have to play a super game show <laughs> Sweet. Um, this game show is called hypotheticals uh, you and Gabby will be the contestants I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations you can ask as many questions as you want and then I decide uh, how it all ends our first game with? is would you stay there with is this no waiting cheater.
2: Annie there is no waiting <laughs>
1: okay would you stay with this cheater your significant other of 13 years admits while sleep talking that they mixed up the address of Craigslist ads and meant to go buy a couch and instead had a casual encounter with a Russian model. When you hunt, <laughs> listen, when you confront them about it the next morning, they admit to everything and are so relieved you now know the truth. Would you stay with this cheater? They have mixed up addresses before.
2: Okay, Annie? Uh probably not. You wouldn't stay with them?
3: I don't know. Probably not. Just that (laughs) is like the lack of trust
2: thing. (laughs) That is also, wow. So they got there, they saw the couch wasn't for sale, but they thought, let me have sex with this person.
1: Well, the person was expecting them to have sex with them and they felt like it would be rude to to not go through with it.
2: Okay, I'm sorry. So you think someone who uh, has the fortitude to yell in a doctor's office to get what she wants and needs... Uh, would would be with someone who can't even be like, this is the wrong address. <laughs> well, you know, I have to
1: ask the questions. It's the game.
2: <laughs> I think if he, my problem here is my partner's inability to stand up for themselves in a tough situation, so I will be leaving.
1: <laughs> Our next game, Are You a Terrible Parent? Your child is afraid of flying, but Uh you really want to take them on vacation. Okay. So one morning, you drug them and get them on a flight. Oh, my God. They don't wake up until you land in Bali. Oh, my God. Are you a terrible parent? They will have to fly back. (laughs) Wait, we don't have drugs in Bali? You
3: couldn't bring them because
1: of customs.
3: Oh, my God. Uh, How long is the trip? Two weeks. Two weeks. No, how long is the plane ride?
1: Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Ten hours. How old are they? They are 13. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, I can give them the sleeping pill on the way back.
1: How did, how did you get a drugged 13-year-old onto a plane? Because you just put them in a wheelchair and nobody asked any questions. <laughs> wow.
3: Andy, does this seem realistic to you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a hypothetical, so I'm not putting
2: too much pressure on it. <laughs> Thank I you. Just mean, like, does it seem like that would realistically be the case? Come on. I, no way. They searched for you. At yeah. yeah that guy,
1: they got away with it for a whole weekend. I,
2: you know what? That's fair. Um, I do. And your, is your kid happy to be in Bali? Yeah, but the whole time they're freaking out about having to fly back. I guess you live in Bali oh, no. now. I guess you're a good parent and you live in Bali now.
1: You know what? I'll accept that answer. <laughs>
2: Woo! <laughs>
1: Our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? After months of having a crush on your coworker and endlessly flirting, you two finally make out, and it's terrible. <sighs> they are Holy. truly awful at kissing and have horrible breath. When they Ow. ask you out on a proper date and you decline, they ask why. Do you lie or tell the truth? Their breath smells the like fish. Period. Wait.
3: Period. Tell the truth. You would tell them
1: they're a bad kisser and their breath smells like fish.
3: Yes, I <gasps> would. What? Why? Because
2: because you want to protect them from the next person, or they're gonna just, just gonna keep doing it over and over again. Oh, I see. Because because your idea is that this person will then go, oh shoot, I should learn how to kiss and also change my toothpaste.
1: They wouldn't be. What if yes. they're just so devastated? Yeah. You could have just easily I mean, I mean, said we work together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 I, think, I think I don't know. What if you say, hey, look, I'm interested in you. But these things we got to work on these things, you know? No, once yeah. you have a
1: bad kiss with somebody and they smell like fish, you're not going to be attracted <laughs> to them anymore. You don't know. You think you can have a really, really bad make out with someone where they repulse you and then you get past that?
3: I don't know. Uh No. <laughs>
1: and he uh, says I no. I have
3: had the c- scenario. I actually had the situation. Like, you've never had a bad kisser before in your life? No, Come of course on.
1: I have. Yeah, but I never told him.
3: No. I mean, that's why I'm having fun with the hypothetical because, to be honest, I didn't in real life. <laughs> in real <laughs> life, I was just like, I just, like, ghosted them, unfortunately. Oh,
1: <laughs> so this is you making up for that.
2: So, random yeah. person, if you were ghosted by Annie now, you know why. Your breath smells like fish. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Where can people
1: find you?
3: Uh, I'm on Annie Elainey on all things. Uh, with, that's with two E's in the middle, one for Annie and one for Eleni, Um
2: And on YouTube as Annie Elaney as well. Thank you so much for talking to us. We really, really, really appreciate it. Yay, I had fun. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about going back to school.
2: Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topic! X, 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 Oh, man, you really left me hanging there for a second. I wanted to create suspense. Um, So this topic is actually huge for you. It is. You want to discuss? Uh, so we're recording this on
1: um December 11th. Uh, so I made a decision only a few weeks ago that I was actually going to go back to school and get a master's in clinical psychology with a focus on marriage and family therapy.
2: So, like, tell us the lead up or tell us the, you know, start at the beginning. So, when I was born, I...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, this last year, in terms of my career, has not been what I would want it to be. Um, Most days, I had nothing to do. Uh, I was pulling my hair out. I was making a lot less money than I'd made in previous years. Um, I went out with a book proposal I really, really loved and... As of right now, nobody has has wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I tried to pitch things. I I pitched a movie a bunch. I picked, you know, like I was I was trying, but it was it was not working out for me. And I was getting more and more depressed, and I was getting um, more and more stir crazy. And I really felt like I was just sort of sitting in my apartment, wasting my life and my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I really kind of tackled with this idea of kind of like entitlement like entitlement that I was going to get a show like Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm good at writing and I've had success in the past that like of course, this was going to work out for me. Like, of course, I deserve a show. I deserve to be successful. I deserve mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then I had to be like, Allison, actually, you don't deserve anything. You know, like, that's just like not how life works. Like, yeah, there's plenty of super talented creatives out there who just like will never even have as much success as I've already had. Like, mm-hmm. so much of this is luck. So much is timing. And I can no longer just sort of like sit around waiting to get that call mm-hmm. that will like change my life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was like, all right what the fuck do I do? Um, And I thought about other jobs that I could get without yeah. having to go back to school. And that was pretty much advertising. Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, I see. And, um, you know, because I'm not, like, I just have a degree in screenwriting. Like, what am I going to do? Right. Um, and I kind of tested the waters with that. And the more and more I thought about what that day-to-day work would be like, it just, like, wasn't exciting to me
2: wasn't a passion
1: yeah like to me that felt like oh me giving up yeah and instead i really needed to think about like what is a different path that i also want to go down Mm -hmm. and obviously mental health has been a part of my life since i was four years old Mm um i have dealt with many mental health professionals along the way so many of them have helped me so much it's um something i talk about all the time it's something i've been writing about more you love therapists i love therapists um and i part of this journey was that with this book proposal was about um dating with mental illness and a big issue with it was like me writing it not being a therapist, right? So, like, how do you write about mental illness without being an expert on the topic? And, like, I have other therapists on board for the project, but it was, like, always this issue of, like, but I'm not the expert. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of got to the place where I was, like, you know what, I think I actually do want to be the expert. Oh. And part of it was my therapist just, like, being really supportive of this plan. And, like, we had talked about it a while ago, like, months ago. And she'd recommended um, a a program at Antioch which is not the one I ended up doing but was basically like look like just like look into it you know mm-hmm. and then like months later i was like sitting there and i was literally thinking about going back to school for to become a therapist and then she said you know you should really you should really look into that school again <laughs> and really? it was like at the same time that i had been thinking that and i was like oh okay and so i feel like i talk a lot about on this podcast like waiting until the thing feels right to you. Yeah, like you know, like don't force something. And a few months ago, it felt like forcing it. I felt like I don't want to go to school. Yeah, I don't want to study. I don't want to have homework. It's a, it's weird to go back to school. But sitting in her office on that day when she said that, in my body, I felt yes,
2: really. Yeah, I felt you suddenly like, didn't care about classes or homework or any of that. It just, I mean, believe me, I don't want
1: to do it. But <laughs> it suddenly felt right to me. It didn't feel like a thing I was forcing. And um, I think that there's a lot going on here in terms of going back to school. Like, one, it's not full time. It's not like I'm moving on to college campus and, like, goodbye right. goodbye, my career, goodbye writing. It's like an evening program, which is really important to me. And mm-hmm. um, it's only two days a week for, for most of the year. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can still very much have – continue to pursue what I want to pursue mm-hmm. while also kind of getting this – this backup plan Mm -hmm. and also, I think, figure out a way to combine my two loves and interests. Like now, in theory, I'll be able to write but also write as a mental health expert. Yeah. I'll be able to create but also create with this background and this knowledge. I'll be able to to speak about this stuff not just from my own experience but as a professional. Yeah. So it felt like something that would really – add to what i've already doing instead of like thinking of it like oh my god i'm giving up
2: right 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 and it's something that you you really care about like do you think you would ever uh, be people's therapist
1: yeah so i uh, in theory right now it's like a mix of things but i am very interested in, in opening um like a private practice for teenagers oh yeah so but that's like years away like it's this is thing's going to take me forever so yeah 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 a big part of it is like also learning patience you know, that, like, for years it's just been like, oh, I just got to get, like, that one call from this network executive and then I get right, paid and then I get right. the money and then I get t- whatever. And now it's like, oh, I know that nothing will come of this for years. Yes. And that's this like, is an investment. It's a totally different mindset mm-hmm. and it's like, a, a, it's, like, discipline and patience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and also in, like, believing in a decision because, like, I mean, I can obviously drop out, but it's, like, it's a big-time decision. And I think that I – I feel like I've always been someone who, like, took risks and made the tough decision and, like, went after what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that wasn't me anymore.
2: That you weren't doing that.
1: Yeah. Like, I felt like because I'd had some success, I'd become, like, uh, like compliant or I had just been entitled or I thought that things were just going to happen. Like, I would develop stuff and I'd work on stuff, but it wasn't, like, hustling. I wasn't, like, hustling. Yeah. I wasn't using my brain to the full extent of my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I think I have to fucking do this. Like, I have to shake things up. I have to like. I have to take this leap of faith. I have to like force myself to to get into a place that's uncomfortable mm-hmm. because like every time in the past that I've made that decision, it's like improved my life.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is more. I mean, going back to school, I think, is sometimes viewed as as like you said, a giving up. But but it's not. It's like my friends of mine who have gone back to school. It's it's to move forward. It's to make it's a change. It's to, like, it's enhance. To, enhance. Yeah, I don't know why we view education or continued education or academia as something that isn't, like, worthwhile to pursue. Like, of course it is.
1: I remember when I was, like, 21 and my boyfriend was 30. Yikes. But I, <laughs> he was great. But he, like, he was kind of, like, didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. And, and my parents kept being like, why doesn't he go back to school? And he kept saying, oh, 30 is, like, too old to go back to school. Really? No, it's not. Right. But, like, again, like, I had this misconception that, like, it's too old. Like, you know, like, it's yeah. like. That you can part- make a change at any time. But that's what's been so empowering about this decision is, like, once I made the decision, I felt so much calmer. I felt so proud of myself. I felt like, oh, I'm taking the power back. Yeah. Like, I am no longer just, like, in this going down this river in this boat and, like, who knows what the fuck's going to happen to me. Yeah. It's more like, oh, I I bought, like, a steering wheel,
2: you know, and, like. You have control over it. Exactly. Was it, like, a tough process to, to try to figure out where you wanted to go or what <laughs> program or?
1: um No. So that's part of why this worked out for me. It, it was so easy to apply
2: to this program. Really?
1: <laughs> yeah, I got in within, like, a couple weeks. Like, I was, like, I had to, like, write an essay and, like, get two references. And that was it. It was so easy. And you didn't take the GRE? Nope. Didn't have to take the GRE. Uh, barely had to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the, the the hard part is the program itself. Like,
2: Yeah, the hard part is the program itself. And the hard part is, is uh, not being afraid of doing the application. Not being afraid of submitting it. Right. And,
1: like, trusting that my brain will wake up and be able to work that way again.
2: That is the thing because, like, starting to do classes and homework again is – It's terrifying.
1: I'm so afraid. I honestly am not thinking about it that much because I don't want to freak myself out.
2: Yeah. But part of it is kind of fun. Like, you get a notebook and a book and you go and sit in a classroom and you're, like, a nerd taking notes.
1: Well, that's what everyone's been saying to me about graduate schools. It's completely different than college or high school because you're in a different place. You appreciate learning in a different way. Yeah. And you're doing what you want to learn about. Yeah. It's so it's so focused and like specific to your interest and what you want to do. And so it's like un it's completely unlike college. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that that's true. <laughs> yeah. I think part of what helped me was not overthinking the decision. Yes. And just being like, well, this this makes sense. And so therefore I shall do it mm-hmm. instead of like pouring over the course list and being like, oh, no, this class is statistics. Um, yeah. I like. I'm like, okay, well, when I have to take statistics, I, I have to take statistics.
2: Yeah, I think people really have a limited view of who they are as people or what they're mm-hmm. capable of doing. Like, they're like, I couldn't possibly go back to school. I'm not this type of person. But, like, you decide who you are.
1: That's huge. And that that's really what I was trying to articulate earlier was that, like, whenever I've pushed the boundaries of who I think that I am, mm-hmm. that's where I feel like i flourish the most. And I feel like I haven't done that in a while. And that mm-hmm. I was in a rut and I had to do something. And, like, who the fuck knows? Like, tomorrow I could get staffed and I have to, like, defer s- my school. And I'm maybe, like, one year in I get an opportunity and I end up not finishing the program. Like, I have to also be okay with that. Yeah. Like, I have to be okay with the fact that I don't know what's going to happen. But that I'm, like, I'm at least mixing things up. And I'm a, taking control of And taking control. And setting myself up to have a backup plan because a lot of people can just like pursue their passion for years Mm -hmm. and like they are fine, just like, not fine, but like they'd rather drive Lyft and keep auditioning Mm -hmm. than figure out a second career that would take up their life. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize that I'm not that person. Like I can't live like that. Like Mm -hmm. I I need stability. And if I'm unable to find stability in – um. The entertainment industry. Then I need that backup to feel safe.
2: And luckily, you have something else that you feel passionate about.
1: Yeah, Some Like people that don't. Was, that was part of it. Yeah, but I mean, am I like super passionate about the years of schooling and clinical hours that I'm gonna have to do? No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like it. I'm not like. Are you gonna be Doctor Raskin?
1: No, it's not. It's not a doctorate. Oh, I mean, I could. This is eventually how much I
2: know about it. That I'm like, are you a doctor now? I, like, call you. I'm like, I have a rash. You're like, I am in school for family therapy. <laughs> I'm not a doctor.
1: But I just think that it's, like, I am trying to not be, like, closed-minded about what I can do with this degree. And yeah. I think that that's helping me a lot of, like, thinking of it as, like, supplemental versus, like, completely giving up and changing my life path. Yeah. I mean, you're not even moving. Yeah. I'm not moving. I'm just going at night. I um, My mom says now I could be like Dr. Phil. Oh, you know, like now I could have a show where I'm an actual person, like an expert or professional, you know, like I yeah. can, I can speak to these things that I care about and and know about personally on like a more like global level.
2: I guess you're learning. I guess you've experienced the, the mental health side of it, but now you have to learn like the hows and whys and all that of it. Totally. Which is which is um, a different thing. I guess that's true. I would argue you were already an expert, but <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are just scared to to make any sort of change because also I think they're worried about, like, the judgment of going back to school mm-hmm. and, like, the the judgment of any change, right? If someone's like, I want to switch careers, not even right. going back to school, but if they're like, I want to do a different job, mm-hmm. uh, I think people get stuck in a, like, well, but I'm not the type of person who could or I'm not the type of person who does this or I'm not the type of, you know, like. Or it's like, I with this going back to school, it's like, oh, well, I'm not an adult anymore. Yeah,
1: like I, I'm, I'm taking steps backwards. I'm now a kid again. I'm now, you know, mm. like it's. I'm not just like making money. I'm now like losing money. You mm-hmm. know, like it's just it. It feels weird, and I have to like, I have to just not let myself go there. And I, for whatever reason, I thought that it would like delay my relationship with Jake, and I like had to like ask him about that. And he really? was like, Yeah, for some reason, I was like, Well, we couldn't possibly get engaged if I'm in school, but like, why not? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like what? you totally people can. People do that all the time. But I was like, well, I'm not a real adult if so I'm in school, so we can't get engaged. But like that's bullshit and just like a weird rule I'm putting
2: on myself for no reason. And anybody can go to school, by the way. Like Absolutely. older people go back to school all the time. I don't know why we judge that. Like, oh, you want to uh, ac- accumulate more learning? Ew. Like.
1: Well, this program specifically is meant for people who are working full time.
2: Oh, which that's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Why would we disparage that? That's admirable. Exactly.
1: Like, it was something that, like, made sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that at first it was sort of like, oh, really? And now it's like, oh, cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, you are you are the master of your own future. You control what ha- – like, in certain capacities and in certain ways, you have con- more control than you think you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing that people have to learn is you have more control than you think.
1: And if you're feeling like you have no control – do something to reclaim that control mm-hmm. and like i you know like i went and i dropped off a gift with our manager and like we were like catching up about stuff and he was like talking about the plans for me for like 2020 and stuff mm-hmm. and in the past i would have been like oh my god you have to get me that job like if you don't get me that job that's my whole life like i, ha- right. I have no income i have nothing like are you ha- like what is our plan but because now i'm going back to school I was sitting there and I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I hope that works out. Like, that would be cool. You know, Mm. but I was like, I have another plan. Like, I I am no longer just like a slave to the entertainment industry in this way that was like completely destroying my psyche.
2: Yeah, especially Um, in this industry because you have so little control over what happens next. And I think that I
1: can like make a difference and I think I can like do cool stuff. And I think it's actually me rising to my potential instead of just like settling in my laziness. And I just, like, can't be afraid of the work. Like, I just have to trust that I'm smart enough to do the work. I'm, like, I'm pumped to do all the reading. I'm pumped to do all the discussing. I don't want to write papers or take tests.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I bet once you sit down, you'll just, like, breeze through them. Yeah, maybe. That's sort of what you're like, though. We'll see.
1: I'm scared, but I'm just not letting the fear get in the way.
2: And that is the message here at
1: Just Between Us. Um, so anyway, shout out to Pepperdine for letting me in real quick.
2: Uh, <laughs> I look forward to joining your ranks. <laughs> Yay! What's the what's the mascot at Pepperdine? Could not tell you. You got to look up Pepperdine's mascot. Why? Because because th- then we say go fighting Pepper Shakers. Go or whatever. therapists. Oh my god! Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Pepperdine mascot. But it's a Christian school, which kind of freaks me out. Willie the wave. Yep. Go go waves. I wish
1: I didn't know that, actually. (laughs) Tamika, you want to come on in and tell us if you're going
0: back to school? I wish. I kind of wish I could. Really? Why? I mean, I've always loved learning. Learning is, I feel like, a privilege rather than a right in America. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've always appreciated being able to learn.
1: That's the thing I forgot to touch on was, like, the financial aspect of it. And then I'm, like, very lucky that that is not an issue and that my parents will be helping me out. So oh great. that's nice. That makes it a much like easier decision, easier decision mm-hmm. that I have to pay them back versus like the government
2: that will keep increasing how much I owe them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I mean I I was using education as a stand in for like bettering yourself and learning more and not necessarily this, the, the educational institutions, which will take our money. <laughs> but I mean, I, we could all always go back to school. You could get a Duolingo app. You could, uh, start reading books about a certain topic. You never, it's never too late to learn some stuff
0: for sure. And, um, Like, what Allison is doing is pursuing a passion, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, um, having a passion that you can, like, dedicate a certain amount of time and be around people with the same interests, I think that's really great.
2: Yeah. We'll see. Maybe I'll flunk out. Wow, and then you get to be kind of like, you get a leather jacket, you put the the collar up, and you're like, I'm a grad school dropout, baby. Yeah. That's a new podcast. Right (laughs) off on your Harley or whatever. (laughs) I assume cool dropouts do. I have a very 1950s view of dropouts. What else did we learn this episode? Oh, my God. I I love Annie, and I love her, her... the way that she bravely talks about this stuff and and speaks up and tells her story. And I just think that so many people feel so disempowered and the way that she talks makes people feel empowered. So I I just, I learned, you know, I learned so much about what needs to be made better and and about medical abuse and medical trauma. And like, it's just, you're not alone if you're listening to this, basically. I can't imagine going to all those appointments solo. Yeah. Like, and not
1: having an advocate with you, be it like a friend or a a family member. Right. Like, I mean, I I guess I would say, like, if you can possibly bring someone with you, Mm -hmm. do that because it's harder to gaslight two people.
2: Yes, I know. Yeah, that is the thing. And sometimes you don't feel comfortable speaking up for yourself, but you feel comfortable speaking up for other people. Or other people feel more comfortable speaking up for you. There should be,
1: like, advocacy groups that, like, will accompany you. I think there are. To doctor's appointments. I
2: think there are people that do that.
1: Yeah, that sounds important and, like, that that would have maybe helped.
2: Yeah, Uh, it's just so like crazy that people are like, no, these these human beings must be gods when like everyone's a person like people fuck up at their jobs all the time. You can't just like assume that someone is going to be the be all end all of knowledge on this thing when we're all just like flawed people.
1: I think it's a catch-22 where you have to have pride to think you can be a doctor, and then your yeah. pride keeps you from being a good doctor.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the longer you're a doctor, I assume you look at it as a job mm-hmm. and not as a passion. I mean, not everyone even comes into it looking at it
1: right. as a passion.
0: We We're not a passion, but a calling or something or, like, yeah, yeah. to
1: do yeah. good or – And then it's just suddenly like, I got to, I want to go home. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. And that's because, and, and Annie's right. It's also because they're overworked and, and there's like long hours and you're on call for forever. And yeah, it's just like not set up for anyone to succeed basically. And, and it's also, I think like often about people who, uh, English isn't their first language and they go to the doctor and they have to advocate for themselves, but they, they don't, you know, there's a barrier there too. Like I, I think about even like, you know how much harder it would be at the doctor to try to describe what was going on, and like I'm lucky enough to like speak the language of this. It's mm-hmm. just like it's just not set up well. Mm-hmm. Just no. very scary.
1: What do we What do we rate the episode? I rate it eleven out of seven. Evil doctors.
2: Ooh, evil doctors. doctor evils.
1: Doctor evils. Did evil. I go too far with evil? I
2: thought he was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I, did I go too far with a timely Austin Powers reference? <laughs> no, I think that made it You maybe it went too far back. Yeah. Too far back. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. I got it. Okay. Well, not so shagadelic, baby. Um, I I rate it, uh, I rate it eight out of eight, um, keeping your jealousies to yourselves. So I thought that was really good advice.
1: Yeah, keep it. That's a, a good thing with anything that you're working on is kind of keep, keep it to yourself for a month and see if it. If it has less power over you.
2: I love that. Thank you. Seems like you would probably make a good therapist.
1: <laughs> Dear God, I hope so. <laughs>
0: um, what do you rate it? I was hoping you would <laughs> <say>. <laughs> No, Shanika, You're like, not yes. skipped. She's looking at her papers. You're I guess not I skipped. <laughs> um. I'm going to say I give it five out of five textbooks Aww. or digital textbooks, whatever they do these days, because I wish you luck. I think it's going to be really good. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so scared. You're going to do
2: great. Did you have you gotten some really good pens?
1: Oh, yeah. OK, well, I there got you go. Some very good. pens.
2: Then you're fine. That's <laughs> all you need to be a student, I think.
1: That's what I'm banking on. <laughs> Thank you so much to Annie Sigara for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by
2: me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Justin Asher. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspin, and our supervising producer is Josephine Madurana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. I gotta
1: learn how to raise my hand again to speak. <laughs> I can only speak when I raise my hand now.
2: <laughs> I guess that is the rule. <laughs>
0: Ditcher.